but it was just this moment in time that I'm like, am I alive? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm alive. And I'm like, okay, I'm, am I paralyzed? Because I knew I, something wasn't right. And I moved, looked down at my boot and I saw my boot moving when I wiggled my toes. I'm like, okay, you know, right? This is The Fine Line, and I'm your host, Matt Hansen. The Fine Line is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Jackson Hole backcountry. As we head into our seventh season of producing The Fine Line, we remain committed to providing a space for people to have thoughtful conversations about risk and consequence. One of the best ways to learn and evolve our own backcountry habits is through hearing stories from people around us who have experienced a traumatic event and to include the invaluable perspectives of first responders. It's also a good way to understand that, you know what? We all make mistakes, no matter our level of experience. It's what we do with these lessons of risk and consequence that really matters in the end. This season, you're going to hear some new music on the fine line. Our theme is by Anne and Pete Sibley, with additional music provided by Ben Winship. We are proud to feature authentic sounds from the Tetons to help give more meaning to these stories of resilience and survival. If you would like to help Teton County Search and Rescue volunteers, one of the best things you can do right now is contribute to Mission Critical. This is the team's campaign to purchase a year-round rescue helicopter for Teton County. Teton County Search and Rescue does not own and never has owned a helicopter. In this episode, you're going to hear why it is so important that we change that by having a life-saving helicopter on call year-round in Teton County, Wyoming. It truly can be the difference between life or death. To make a donation, go to tetoncountysar.org and look for Mission Critical. Thank you so much for pitching in, and thank you for listening. The Fine Line is presented by Steo. Designed, developed, and tested at the base of the Tetons, Steo was founded to inspire connection with the outdoors through premium technical apparel made for epic alpine pursuits and the quieter moments of mountain life. From storm-ready backcountry ski wear to streamlined trail performance and classic flannels and fleece, Steo's technical meets lifestyle vibe transitions easily from big adventures to the everyday moments of the mountain life. Let the outside in at Steo.com. The Fine Line is also presented by Roadhouse Brewing Company, supporting backcountry safety and the Jackson Hole community since 2012. Located in the heart of the Tetons, Roadhouse Brewing Company embodies the authentic spirit of the West, where your word is your honor, quality is your craft, and adventure is rooted in your soul. Roadhouse is a certified B Corp, best for the world company, helping to preserve this beautiful land we call home. The Roadhouse Pub and Eatery is located on the square in downtown Jackson. And look for their beer cans at a store near you. Visit roadhousebrewing.com. On June 25, 2022, Terry Evenson and Britt West drove a truck and horse trailer way out into a little-known corner of the Tetons. The Coyote Meadows Trailhead is in Teton County, Wyoming, but it's at least a two-hour drive from Jackson. When they parked their truck at Coyote Meadows, there was only one other vehicle in the lot a green Forest Service pickup truck. Other than that, it was just Terry and Britt, their three horses, a couple of dogs, a pile of camping gear and food, and the outstretched wilderness. 
They were headed for Hidden Corral Basin and Camp Lake, about 11 miles up the trail through forests, open meadows, and perfect little creeks running cold with snowmelt. It's all part of the Jedediah Smith wilderness, a vast landscape of snow-covered mountains and plateaus, pristine alpine lakes, and deep canyons that drain the western slope of the Tetons. As protected wilderness, it has retained its wild, rugged character for generations, is roamed by grizzly bears, wolves, and wolverines, and even offers a reminder of the outlaws who used to hide their stolen horses back there more than 100 years ago. This story starts with Terry and Britt packing up and heading out for what they thought would be a couple of beautiful days in the mountains. It became memorable for a few other reasons. Especially that valley in particular, as you ride up the narrows into the hidden meadow, there's a place where there's still old pine logs where the outlaws would run horses up because actually our area of Driggs Tetonia was bounded by horse thieves. And they would steal horses, bring them up, run them across, and then sell them in Montana or Jackson Hole or get them to the train. I'm Britt West, and I have a retail business that I've been running for about the last 25 years um, out of Jackson and Tetonia, Idaho, and now in Wickenburg, Arizona. And I've packed the backcountry since I was really cut my teeth in the ranching in 25, 26 years ago. And that's what I do for fun. So I uh, sling turquoise and ride horses and train colts and try to try to stay out of trouble. And I told Terry, you know, I said, I've got a um, really good pack horse. She had just bought her horse. I said, let's go up and we'll do a two-day trip and, and see, you know, see how you like it. And she's been really, you know, it's one of her biggest dreams is to pack the backcountry. The year before we were going up on this side of the pass, Inspiration Point was an insane one ride we did, but at that point, you know, we're getting off the horse and walking him. But we did several amazing trips the previous season. And then I did purchase the horse I have, Angel Fire, in December. And so I had her for seven months prior to this trip. Um, my name is Terry Evenson, and I moved to Jackson in 88, 35 years ago this year. But I uh, took a 10-year break down in Baja, and I have two kids. One is a senior in high school, and we're going to go for a road trip here to figure out where she's going to go to school next year. And I have another son that is a uh, in college his first year. So I'm a project manager at a construction company, and I've been doing construction since 96. Mother, work, and for play, I, I do like riding horses in the backcountry, but I am somewhat of a rookie after this experience. I've got a lot to learn. But I had some time off was super grateful. I hooked up with some old cowboys down in the Afton area. And one guy gets like well over 100 days a year. And he just took me under his wing. And he's like, let's go, let's go. And anytime I wasn't showing up, he'd call me and he'd like, your horse is getting fat out there. Where are you? You know, so I learned a lot of areas down there. And I was really getting into it. And so it led me to this trip with Britt. We just loaded up from there, went up to Coyote Meadows and took off for our trip. And, and it was like fulfilling a dream for her. And for me, for me, it's just so amazing to actually be out without clients, just be with friends and um, not have the pressure and the stress of having 30 head of horses in the back country and 15 guests. And for me, it's just like this big heart opening to be out there with a friend and have them experience what I love to do so much. So 
it was it was fulfilling a dream for for both of us really to be able to be out for me to be without clients and for her to actually get out and do that. I think the the best thing about being gone and being away and being away from your cell phone is it's a, it's a, it's a stress reliever, but it's also like you have a focus and intention and things have to happen every moment of the day and, and you have the relaxation of riding to your camp and you get to set your camp. I mean, the cell phone doesn't work out there. For me, that's a big relief. My my retail business runs me like a scalded dog 24-7. So when that cell phone doesn't work, it's just for me, I can be with my animals and you turn them out in the meadow and you watch the light change over the meadow and if I could just live in the high country all the time, I probably would. But of course, we have to make a living and we have to be, you know, attentive to our daily needs. So that location in particular just has a lot of uh, water. It's got a beautiful meadow. And then we were looking to do the Z Trail to go up to the Teton Crest and to Camp Lake, which I had never been to. So when I go out and pack, I always try to go see something new and I'll like do little routes of something and then see what I can connect together because I'm in a new place. I mean, I spent my formative years, like I said, um, in Montana, Colorado, Wyoming. So the Tetons on the other side, I've done most of the canyons on this side, on the Idaho side coming to Jackson, I have not. So it's, for me, it's more about exploring and mapping and knowing where all of these said stories are, but also the, the location is just absolutely stunning. I mean, when you have a great camp location, you could hang out there for three or four days and fish and then do day rides. And I'm looking to expand and stay out longer. I think I chose that location because I know, first of all, that she could handle the ride in. It's not that far to get in. That is like something. I mean, we were out there and she's like, if this is all I could do, this is all I want to do. Like, how many more trips are we going to do? And I'm like, I'm on. Let's do this. I mean, it is a dream for, for me as well. So she's she found the right girl. They camped the first night next to a creek in a beautiful meadow. In the morning, they woke up, had breakfast, and started out for Camp Lake. The destination was only a few miles away, but it required them to ride their horses up some very steep and exposed switchbacks, a section called the Z Trail. It's not, it's not the worst trail I've ever taken anybody on, but definitely would want someone who didn't know their horse or didn't know the terrain to walk it because it's a place where a horse can step up or step off, and the um, replications are obviously dangerous and, and not, not ideal. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I only had this horse for seven months, and obviously there's some winter months, so I wasn't even riding. And so there's probably a good two, two and a half, three months I was going on rides before this, and I felt comfortable with her, but only one-day rides. So this was the first time I took her for a multi-day trip. That evening was insanely beautiful, and just we're just, I love it out here. I don't want to go home kind of feeling. We're going up the trail. We're trying to figure out which way we're going. We picked our route, and we're going up. And I was noticing we're on some pretty exposed terrain. You know, there's really no turning back. You're, you're kind of committed. So I think it's really important to know where you're going. And, you know, right there, right there is a big lesson. It was exposed. There was a point when my horse did turn around and... I'm like, oh shit, she's going up the hill and down. And I'm like, Britt, you know, what the hell? And she's like, Terry, you got a rain cow horse. You know, you can do this, pull her in. So I'm turning her going downhill and brought her back up. And I should have listened to my horse. 
those are hindsight things. She wasn't into it. You know, and I had that opportunity right there, like, hey, Britt, I don't think that I can do this. You know, if you need to go up or, you know what, we need to figure something out. We're on the trail. We keep going. There's some more exposure. You know, it's still, it's just insanely beautiful, but it might not have been a trail I should have been on. I'll say that right now. We got to a point and, you know, it's an apex going up. She was going over a rock and she had lost her footing and um, she ended up falling into the mountain instead of us like cartwheeling down the exposure. And I was very well aware, like, holy crap. And when it happened, it just kind of, I have to tell you that moment, you know, she fell on me and got up, that it was just this moment in time that I'm like, am I alive? <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I'm alive. And I'm like, okay, I'm, am I paralyzed? Because I knew I, something wasn't right. And I moved, looked down at my boot and I saw my boot moving when I wiggled my toes. I'm like, okay, you know, whew, right? And then, you know, the horse is still kind of running off and Brit's up there going, you broke? And I'm like, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't, it was just numb. I was just numb. And I knew that I, I just felt like paralyzed, you know? And I was, we had just come around this apex on this trail and there was a little exposure where you could put like a two-man tent. And I was able, with everything I had, pull myself up to that little spot. It was so freaking painful, but I pulled myself to this little ledge so when the horses were going back and forth, they weren't going to walk on me. Just a few days before this trip, the same Afton guy that took Terry under his wing gifted her a used spot device. He told her to never go in the backcountry without it. A spot is a satellite communication device that can transmit an SOS signal to emergency responders. As a user of this particular older model, Terry wouldn't know if the signal was received as there is no back and forth messaging provided. After getting the device, she activated it on a Thursday, tied it to her belt loop with an old croquis strap, and ended up using it on Saturday. Lying on the ground, busted up, and in excruciating pain, she hit the SOS button. Well, well, with that said, Britt's like, I don't think this spot device is going to work. She's running after my horse, and, you know, I had already hit it as soon as I could. And she's like, damn, you know, what are we going to do? And she's going to, she's actually at one point try to pick me up and put me on the horse because we're going to ride out dead man style, you know? I'm like, I, if that's what we got to do, let's do this. There's no cell service. This device might not work. We're in a precarious position. And then she was going to go try to get cell service. She left me with the water the almonds, the gun, because we're in grizzly country, <laughs> bear spray, and I have my jean jacket. And that thing I learned from living in Mexico shades me, you know. It might look like it's really hot, but it kept the sun off me. So that's where that's where I was for a while. And the call came in. Well, a spot device, which, you know, those can be a myriad of, of things. We, we usually are alerted on our phone, like what we're going to, if we're going to a, a river rescue or a mountain bike wreck or something, so we can kind of like have our you know be situated for the the deal so we knew i knew it was a spot device it was later in the afternoon or i can't remember exactly what time but i, I do believe it was in the afternoon i'm chase lockhart i've been on the sar team since 2015 so eight years now um i've been lucky enough to call jackson home my entire life and day to day i met the helm of my family's cattle operation so it was like bike league like going deep 
potential for an overnight. But yeah, we I ran up to the hangar and they kind of asked like, "Hey, we got a um a spot device on the west side of the Tetons, which is like quite a bit away from most of the country that we service, right? Like it's uh, you got to be in Idaho and then get back into Wyoming, and it's on the other side of the Tetons, so it's quite a jaunt for us, maybe a two-hour drive just to get started. I mean, it was a beautiful summer day. I was out mountain biking with my kids, and uh, that was only my first six months of being on calls since I had joined SAR, since I started getting pages. So I'm the rookie that's gung-ho to get out there, and um call came in. I was like, yep, I'm good. I want to go. I am Andrew Armington. I have been on Teton County Search and Rescue. This is my second year. Uh, I'm a little bit of a national park mutt. I was born in Jackson, took some hiatuses, and have been back in the Valley for going on 10 years now. I own a gym and am a personal trainer in the Valley here. Father of two young kids, and we get out and venture in any way possible, and that continues to grow as the kids get older. So we rode up to the airport where the heli attack base is because we have to request permission to go on those calls with the helicopter during the summertime because it's not on our lease technically. So there were four SAR members and I remember actually my mentor, Rob Scroy, let me, gave me the go ahead to go on that helicopter that day. And it ended up being a really special mission to me for many different reasons. So, yeah, we went to the hangar, and they selected a team that was able to go all night. We went to the heli-tack base. Uh, they told us they were going to send four SAR members in the ship with the heli-manager, and away we went. Yeah, this one was a SOS, simple SOS, which, um, you know, they're the hardest to make the decision on, right? They're the hardest to, to go, are we going to run at this fast, or should we wait for an hour to see if somebody you know, gets this, digs this out of their pack and then tries to get hold of us. These SOS signals with no more information are hard for the incident command to kind of come up with a plan. This one, we went straight at. It was, you know, end of June, summer day, SOS signal, deep in the backcountry we're going. It's important to note that during the summer and fall, the rescue helicopter is on contract with Teton Interagency Helitac to be used for rescues in Grand Teton National Park and fight fire in the surrounding national forest. This means that if the ship is already on a rescue or a fire, it is not available for Teton County Search and Rescue. On this day, it was, enabling Teton County Search and Rescue volunteers to partner with the Jay Lake Climbing Rangers to conduct the mission. Had it not been available, this would have been a much longer operation with potentially drastic consequences. And even with the helicopter, they still had to figure out how to get help to Terry and Britt. Yeah, so this camp that they had set was about nine miles from their pickup. So so then this this day ride to this camp lake was, you know, they were they were starting at nine miles in. To paint the picture of this, the Teton Crest Trail runs at about 11,000 feet. And, um, you know, it's running north to south. And there are these trails that run east to west up drainages kind of to the Teton Crest Trail, and there's one right after the another, like five or six drainages there uh, around the Targhee area north of it. And the next drainage over is uh, Badger Creek, I think, and the, the little jog that connects Badger Creek to um, the Teton Crest Trail is called Dead Horse Pass. This one is the Z Trail, but there are these two mile sections of trail that basically connect the bottom drainage up to the trail and the, the one 
the next drainage over just happens to be Dead Horse Pass. But these are steep, rocky trails. Well, I think, you know, Britt was trying to get her safe and the horses down to the valley safe, the meadows. And, you know, ultimately get me to the meadows at the very least. Uh, so I'm not on the side of the mountain. And, you know, that's when she comes over. Okay, we got this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you up on this horse. And everything I had was trying to get up to where she could help me get on the horse. And it just, after several attempts, it's like, yeah, this this isn't happening. So the next thought was, okay, you stay here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but, you know, that's when it's like, I'm good. I can stay here. I mean, I've camped out a lot in the mountains by myself back in the day. Not necessarily happy about being in grizzly country, but, you know, I felt fine. I, I'm good. You know, go get some help. And, and if we have to, we'll get the, you know, two-man tent here and I'll get some gear and a little bit of this. And, you know, she left me the gun, right, just in case. But I didn't know if the thought was like old school, dead man horse, then I'm going to ride out with my belly over the saddle and get down to the trailer. You know, what, what are, it wasn't looking good. We did a, a short exam and I'm like, can you move? No. I was like, is there any way that you could, uh, it, you can stand? No. Um, and where do you hurt? And how do you feel? And then kind of looking and watching her eye, her pupil response and seeing how she could talk and saying, well, you know, hopefully there's no femoral bleed. There's no, internal damage um but when we realized that she couldn't move and 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 i was literally thinking about carrying her down to at least get her to camp to so that i could set up a better camp for her but then my main objective was how to make her comfortable and how to get these horses off the side of the mountain because i had a horse running loose i had a pack horse that was being a jack tail who was trying to rub his packs off i had my horse that was screaming at her horse um, it was it was just a, a lot of chaos at once. And to you know go back to woofer training, the first thing you do is secure yourself, and then you secure your your patient. And so that was the biggest thing was getting these three horses tied up, her in a place like we said off the trail because her mare's running back and forth. I've still got my pack and my horse, and I tied them up, run down, got her mare tied up, and then I had to turn all of them around and one at a time, bring them back to the meadow. And I was packing back up to the meadow with a tent, um, a pad, more food, water, whatever we could to make her sustain. Cause I was like, I got an eight mile ride to make to get to cell phone. Beyond the eight mile ride, I've got an hour drive to get to cell phone. And then I'm going to have to bring someone in. So when I heard that chopper, I literally had tears in my eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, that thing worked. They really did because we didn't have a spot with any kind of texting device or a Garmin with texting device that we could have any response. So we were just out there. I was like, we're going to make the best of this. We're going to get you as safe as we can. I'm worried to death that she's going to go into shock or she's got some internal bleeding, but the faster I can get help, because honestly, if I had stayed up there with her, hoping that someone would come by, that's, that wasn't an option. I mean, the, the, the best option to do is really is to go get help because I, um, we couldn't move her. There was no moving her. I mean, she was definitely um, a flight candidate 100%. Probably the most circling I've ever done in a helicopter, trying to find you, trying to spot you with five of us in that bird. 
and it was tough. So like when Britt came down to that valley um, where the camp was, that was how we were able to finally locate you. And I do want us to back up to that moment when the helicopter was coming over. That was like the most beautiful sight. <laughs> I can't can't even tell you and, and I can't even know if any of you are in if anybody was in that position the alternate of trying to get out of that situation and then seeing that bird flying and there and they dropped you guys went down in the valley and then they ended up dropping you up high on the trail uh, one of our team members Ed when it went out and talked to Britt um, she kind of gave us some insight to, as to where you were we made a couple more circles and we're finally able to land on this small little rock bench, uh, maybe 100 yards above you. When we're executing a helicopter rescue, it's always, are we gonna be able to land the helicopter to the patient? Or is there gonna have to be some patient transport to somewhere that the helicopter can land so that we can get the patient in it? After we connected with Brittany, she told us that the patient is up the trail, right? She's up the trail between the camp and point X where it flattens out basically. So we jump back in the ship, fly over it, and are following the zigzag trail up the, um, you know, it's a switchback trail up the side of a mountain with aspens that are in full leaf on it. And from where the camp was to where the trail got flat, we didn't see her, but we knew she was there. And we knew that wasn't a place that we could land the helicopter. So Steve landed the helicopter the closest point he could, which was up trail of her on a rock and we didn't actually land the helicopter we did a kind of a hover exit where he just had one skid um sitting on the uh rock and we bailed out the door and the helicopter's not landed at this point and actually the tail of the helicopter was off the rock to the point that our medical gear was in the aft compartment of the ship and we weren't able to access it because the helicopter the tail of the helicopter is hanging off this rock so what they did is dropped us off went and landed back at the meadow where we talked to Brittany, essentially. The heli tech manager jumped out of the ship, grabbed the gear out of the aft compartment, put it internal in the helicopter, and then came and flew back to us and handed it to us out the window without the helicopter landing. That's badass. Well, I mean, in this case, we needed to do a patient assessment. That We knew that was, like, number one. Um, we needed to figure out what was going on with the patient so that we could start to coordinate this helicopter rescue. The helicopter, after dropping us off, went and sat down at the bottom of the valley where it didn't have any radio comms with the outside world. We could talk direct to the ship, but the ship couldn't talk to incident command or, like, you know, back to dispatch. Uh, we just had a direct communication where, basically, if it stays in line of sight of us with our handheld radios, we can hit it. Um, so we needed to do a patient assessment, get an update and then hit the ship because they were going to have to take back off, get above out of the valley and hit dispatch and, and, uh, get more resources. So fuel is, is the thing that limits the amount of time that the helicopter can be in the backcountry. It's a weight issue. Helicopters don't perform as well in the summer as they do in the winter. They prefer cold air. So... We didn't take very much fuel with us, or we took as much as we could. But when you're flying at 14,000 feet in 80 degrees with five or six crew members, there's only so much fuel you can put on board, about an hour and a half of fuel. 
Yeah. So part of our training is that almost anytime we go into a rescue, we bring a 24 hour pack. So we have medical supplies in there, food, water, um, some sort of sleeping pad, something to keep us warm just in case things escalate and get worse. Um, we are always prepared and those packs are always on each one of us when we go into a rescue. And it's important to note that like in a helicopter rescue in particular, when, the, when you get out of the helicopter, you need to anticipate that the helicopter is not coming back to get you. Lights go off in the helicopter. It gets called to fires or different rescues. And, or, you know, like, like I said, something can go wrong with the helicopter, a mechanical issue where the pilot's like, I got to go home. And so as soon as you step out of that helicopter, you need to be prepared to get yourself home summer or winter. That's our protocol. If we get out of the helicopter in the winter, you have your ski boots on with your skis, no matter where you are. Terry's composure maybe was a little deceiving for us because she was able to talk, communicate with us. We call it A&O times four. She knew where she was at, what time of day it was. Obviously, we knew that she was in a bit of pain, but she was not totally descriptive or showing, I think, the amount of pain that she was actually in. She handled herself very well. And I don't think it was until I remember Chase kind of counting respirations and her heart rate was definitely elevated. And I remember her go, or Chase going, you're in some pain, aren't you? And she finally was like, yeah, I am in some pain. You, I think you asked me, like, what have you taken? <laughs> and I had like sprung my ankle. So I had like some Advil the night before. But I also had, which didn't seem like a gift for a year, but was that day. I had some prednisone, which is a steroid. And it was like one milligram tablets. And I took a few of those to take away the pain. And I had that because of an odd, I don't, I'm one of the few probably, but from the vaccine shot, it affected me and it gave me an autoimmune disorder, basically. So for a full year, I was at like 20 milligrams and was slowly tapering down. And right before this trip, I was like done with my prednisone. Like, I'm going to take this bottle just in case. So that, that really helped. And I think Chase, you're like, how many did you take? <laughs> But, you know, that that helped the pain. I have to, it's not just that I'm tough, let's put it that way. That I know that that helped a lot too. But you were saying something like, you, I think you broke your pelvis and this is what happens and this is what we're going to do. Like, I'm going to stabilize you, you know, and then you walked me through it. This is what's going on, you know, and it was really calming too, the way you both approached it. And so that also kept, obviously, the gratitude and like, you guys are here and I'm, incredibly grateful but it just your approach was also incredibly professional and and kind and it was very welcome to keep me calm and unfortunately for you you did not have a higher level medical rescuer on that team um chase is the top of our was the top medical officer that day and he's an emt so what even if we had it what we were able to give you to control your pain is very minimal so kind of the best course of action once we had figured out or guessed that you had a pretty substantial hip injury, the best course of action for EMTs or woofers is to put that pelvic binder on you, um, which can take away ease some of your pain. And if there was some internal bleeding, help control that as well. Uh, pelvic breaks are scary injuries because they can be associated with some bleeding. So the best thing to do, like Andrew said, is immediately like bind that sucker. So we put her in a pelvic binder and saw if that reduced the pain enough for her to move. It didn't. So now we're thinking, are we going to fly in a wheeled litter and try to wheel her down somewhere to put her in the helicopter internal? Or are we going to call the Jenny Lake Rangers and have them short haul her off this steep slope? 
the day was nearing towards the end of four, five o'clock at this point. And so we decided that if the helicopter was going back to town to get litter or short haulers, it should get a short haulers. So we requested the Jenny Lake short haul team and we got her ready for transport. Basically, you know, we didn't have a litter to put her in for them to hook up short haul that was going to come in with the Jenny Lakers, but we got her as close to ready as we could with the gear we had in the helicopter. Went to town and uh, came back with the short haul crew. You know, the sun was probably coming on and they were just, we were just waiting calmly. I mean, right? Yeah, it's a little tough in those situations, like I said, to not have a uh, a nurse or a doc, which we do have on our team. It just was the way that rescue and call out went that day. So there's only so much we can do in those scenarios and just trying to keep you as comfortable and happy as we possibly can. And I mean, you handled yourself very well. You took in the sights, took some pictures. We were able to chat for a little bit. So um, again, I'm I'm impressed with you and, and how you handled yourself that day. Had that been anybody else for that matter, we would have been tears and holding hands and probably would have been a lot more stressful as for us as rescuers. So, so yeah, they flew back to um, Helitac or airport and grabbed crew of Jenny Lakers. They fly in with their short haul gear, land in the meadow, rig the ship for short haul, which is basically they attach the rope and the helicopter lifts back up, takes a lap with the rope dangling, comes back into two rescuers. They hook into their climbing harnesses and they have like a Bowman bag with them, something to put um, Terry in. They fly in, land next to us, um, unhook from the rope. We package Terry in this litter. Um, helicopter comes back and grabs the two Jenny Lakers and Terry in a, a litter and, and, and fly her to the meadow where they load her internal. Yeah, I, I have never been on a helicopter before. So the first time ever being attached to a helicopter was dangling below. I don't know how long that was, but it was quite an experience. And, you know, and then when we're going, when the, after the meadows, you guys transported me into the helicopter and we're taking off. I tell, is it Steve? Yep. Like, I've never been in a helicopter before. He's like, okay. And my first time is going through Cascade Canyon. And it's like, oh my, you know, not only am I n- not the alternative stuck there, but just, I mean, I was, people are like, well, why in all those pictures are you so happy? And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, the alternative, if you want to think that way, I'm incredibly grateful. They actually asked me if I wanted to go to, I think they were asking me if I wanted to go to Idaho Falls. And, you know, my kids are in East Jackson. St. John's is in East Jackson. I'm like, no, I'm going to Jackson. And they flew me to the Lupin Meadows. And then I was transported into a ambulance to Jackson from there. I was able to get a helicopter ride out, and Chase very graciously stayed behind and helped Britt ride out with those horses. And I remember, I don't know if Chase remembers this, but again, as a gung-ho rookie and this beautiful day out in the Tetons, we had kind of decided that somebody was going to go back with Britt just for safety reasons. And I remember looking at him, I was like, I kind of want to do it. And he's like, how many times have you been on a horse? I was like, three. He's like, no, you're not, you're not doing that. Yeah, I think it was that easy. Like I, had, uh, out of the team, I had the most experience with horses, so it was a no-brainer. Our team is very diverse. Some people have more experience with caves, more experience with water, more experience with climbing. I happen to have quite a bit of experience with horses, so it seemed obvious that I was going to stay with the horses. And Brittany, whenever we can avoid leaving the reporting party in the field by themselves, we do. 
Um, this was a situation we didn't feel comfortable with the reporting party having livestock exiting the backcountry by themselves. No, and I'm really grateful you were there because that that would have been too much for her to. I I just don't think that would have been. It, we were looking for another accident. I don't think that would have been right. And so I was really grateful that you had that experience and that you volunteered to ride my horse out. And it, I just, you know, it made me feel better about her leaving her there. So thank you. And you drove my truck from, you know, Brits where I started all the way back over to um, search and rescue. So my son was able to pick that up. So, I mean, that's, I mean, there's no words for that. Thank you. Yeah. When Terry got in the helicopter, my day really just began. <laughs> Um, as soon as Terry took off and the helicopter was out of there, me and Brittany like packed camp up, saddled the horses and headed towards the trailhead, which was, like I said, a nine mile ride as I believe eight and a half. Uh, horses go about two and a half to three miles an hour in rugged terrain like that. So we knew it was about a three hour ride out. And then we got to the trailhead which is Coyote Loop, I believe. I'm not super familiar with that area. It's outside of Felt, Idaho, about an hour. So we rode for three or four hours, and then we jumped in the pickup and with the horses, you know, and went down to, to Brittany's house in Tetonia, and we, you know, unloaded the horses and such. And that was it. We got to Brittany's house about 9 or 10 at night, and then I'm still an hour from home in Tetonia. So rather than sending a SAR team member over the hill to get me we just figured that the easiest thing to do was when i got to brit's house was jump in her pickup and and park it back at the hangar so that she could get to it the next day yeah i was like in my tenny runners with my backpack so i wasn't super set up for it um this horse had just had an incident too right um just been through a traumatic deal which horses are just like us like they're, they get shaken up in hindsight, there's one time I wish I would have bailed off it and walked it down the trail, but I didn't know the trail, and they had referred to the Narrows earlier, and it's a, it's a, that's what it is. It's a Narrows where uh, the trail is all rock next to a creek um, between two meadows, and what what's the horse's name? Well, I bought her. Her name was Angel, and I, I changed it to Angel Fire, which is appropriate. So I still don't know what I'm calling her. <laughs> Angel Fire yeah. got me out of there. Yeah, Safe yeah. and sound. Yeah. <laughs> Down the Narrows. Yeah, the Narrows is like the crux, I felt. I mean, obviously, the switchbacks were gnarly. What did you guys think when you walked from the top where the helicopter dropped you off down the path? What was that for you? I mean, to walk on it is fine, but mm -hmm. to put me on a horse would have been an entirely different situation. It did a number on me. Multiple fractures, and, and I was told seven, but we could leave it at multiple. It was both sides, bilateral on my pubic and my pelvic, and my sacrum on my left side was folded. Two months, crutches, walker, but I was in the hospital and had to get out. I think it was, this was a Saturday, and I was released Monday, and I had to get trained how to do stairs because I have stairs in my house. <laughs> but, you know, I was really grateful, and my kids were amazing and my boyfriend like took off of work and was there for two months basically and I was starting a new job that Monday um, for a new construction company and uh, yeah I was grateful they had work for me and I was working out of my bed for a while getting to know things but there for a while 
Phil and my boyfriend had to pick me up, put me in the truck, <laughs> you know, and, or my son, like lift me up and take me out of the truck to take me to my job trailer. I mean, it was, it just had to keep working because, you know, I have hospital bills and, you know, I got kids and I got life. I really, really wish I could have had the luxury of taking some time off. You know, I, I didn't get that, but I've had amazing PT, um, all body therapy. I found them and they are unbelievable. They've really helped me a lot. Uh, cassette and I started doing yoga again recently. I didn't know that I could do that again. So that's been really, you know, she helped me get to a point where I'm taking like Sarah Klein's Kundalini. I'm like, ah, that's a little too much, but or Vinyasa, you know, just something that I'm moving again. And I tele ski. And I always said, oh my God, if I could never live in Jackson if I can't ski in the winter. Forget it. This is one of those years. And fortunately, with all the snow, I can't. I realized that my ankle was messed up a couple months after this accident. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you broke it. And then I'm like, I'm telling, but I can't do much. So it's maybe a run or two right now. But at least I'm making turns. But there's a great lesson to be learned there that if you're not capable to step off your horse because you need to, you shouldn't be riding. Because there's situations that we came to with where, where her horse stepped up on slick rock and it was very exposed. And her horse looked down and saw that exposure went up on the slick rock and that's why she rolled. Yeah, I, you need to be able to get off of your horse to walk it if you get in a situation like that which, you know, we have done doing Inspiration Point the previous year. Be prepared when you go in the backcountry. Be true to yourself when you go in the backcountry. If you're hurt, if something's wrong, you know, communicate that. No matter how bad it's going to hurt your friend's feeling, it's better than being taken out by a helicopter and, and having something like this happen because, you know, Terry's going to live with these scars for the rest of her life. I've broken my pelvis. I've got a, a fake hip. And there's days that it, it's great and there's days that it's not. There's a lot of things about being true to yourself that I've learned and also about being true to the friend who's with me and being a better guide and not pushing people beyond their limits. So, you know, we both learned a lot of lessons and it was an amazing experience. Terry was one of the best rescue clients I think anybody could ever have. She stayed very calm. She's tougher than a Waffle House steak. There was no panic involved. We just sat and talked about the options while we waited. I know. I don't want to turn somebody's worst day in, into something positive, but that that day will forever live on in my mind. Not only flying through the Tetons and seeing those views that few people get to see like that, but coming back in that helicopter, I got to land at the Jenny Lake Ranger Station where my dad was a Jenny Lake Climb Ranger, Ranger 30 years ago, and he has since passed away since that time. But that was just a very, very special moment and I'll remember it forever again. I'm, I, I wish that accident wouldn't have happened to you, but it was a special day for me and special that I could be there and help you out and be with my teammates. And as a rookie, you learn some new things. And I remember it was just a beautiful day and I came home and was with my family and my daughter took her first steps that night. So it was just a, it was a special day and I'm sorry that it was one of your worst, but I'm glad to see you're doing okay and improving and just think it's important to note, like, um, that Tijon County Search and Rescue is a free service that we offer, and don't ever hesitate to call for help when you're in the backcountry and think you might need it. Um, because, like I said, the earlier we get there, the easier it is for us to sort that problem out. Um, time is something that's really valuable for us and, and lets us uh, formulate a rescue, make good decisions.
that's her saving grace, right? It was this device she got three days before that she'd never used before, that it was a used item and just happened to work. The alternative of her friend leaving her in the backcountry and then riding out, getting a SAR team organized, and then coming back in to transport Terry, it would have been um, a two-day rescue for sure. So if you're a backcountry user in 2023, there's not a good excuse to not have one of these spot devices. They're fairly affordable and uh, could save your life. In the beginning, I had so much gratitude. It was overflowing. And somewhere in there, I got caught up back in life, like work and this and that. And I'm waking up again from that. I really feel I could have died there. I know I could have. And I have a second chance, you know, and to just find my place back in that baseline of gratitude, it's, that's where I want my core to be. So um, that woke me up. Thank you for listening to The Fine Line. I'm Matt Hansen. Editing and sound are by Melinda Binks. Our theme song is by Ann and Pete Sibley, with additional music provided by Ben Winship. The interviews were recorded in the studios of KHOL 89.1 FM in downtown Jackson. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Learn more at backcountryzero.com.